Wisdom in the Bible could be defined as skill in living, an understanding of how, life's, how life works and an understanding of how to make life work well. But then more than that, importantly much more than that, we said that biblical wisdom needs to be understood as not just skill in living, but skill in living in light of the gospel. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where wisdom begins with gospel fear. That kind of wonder-filled, love-induced awe that we experience as we behold Christ at the cross. And the book of Proverbs then must be read in that light. Not as just, you know, a kind of guide towards self-help or self-improvement or some kind of moralism, but rather as a rich resource. A rich resource that teaches us how to live life at its fullest in joyful obedience to God. This week we come to consider wisdom and Words. This is by no means a comprehensive list of Proverbs on the topic, but it's simply the list of those that we'll mention in the sermon today. So let me read to you from the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Where words are many, sin is not absent. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season how good it is. A wise man's heart guides his mouth. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. But when he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. With patience a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. By mere words, a servant is not disciplined, for though he understands, he will not respond. Open your mouth for the mute. For the rights of all who are destitute. Then Jesus in Matthew 12. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Father, as we come before you to consider this topic, I'm uh, in need of your help. Uh, The irony, Lord, of 
speaking in sin and brokenness with much hypocrisy on, on the topic of speaking. Uh, come, Lord, rule and overrule my lips that what is said would be in accord with your word and that uh, we would be attentive to your spirit in these moments and hear from you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what would your guess be? How many words do you think you speak on an average day? Just, you know, the typical day, how many words do you think either come from your lips or are typed into that email or sent via that text? How many words do you think you use on, on an average day? Well, researchers at the University of Arizona asked this question and they followed hundreds of participants over an eight-year period to find, according to them, that the average person speaks right around 16,000 words every single day. Uh, how does that match up with what your, your guess had been? Uh, interestingly, uh, despite uh, the kind of uh, stereotype, women were found to speak only a little bit more than men, 500 words a day more, th- more than their, their male counterparts. So for both male and female, some 16,000 words. That's, that's a lot of words. A lot of words. And, and yet, we often, I think, have a tendency to underestimate them. To underestimate the power of words. For example, in the church, take uh, adultery, which would be typically seen as a very serious sin, and yet uh, adultery doesn't have the power to cause a church to melt down. Whereas gossip, which would often be seen as a kind of small sin, has the power to tear a church apart. In fact, very often the strife in our, in our lives, think of your relationships, the tension in your office, the discord in your dorm, even the problems that play out in our nation are the result of, of foolish talk, foolish words. The other side of the coin, though, of course, is, is also true that, that words have an amazing power, a, a beautiful potential, we could say, to create trust and form friendships and build communities. Our words matter. And our words really matter to God. And because of that, we find when we come to the book of Proverbs that Proverbs has more to say about this topic, the topic of words, than it has to say about any other topic. There are more Proverbs on how we use our lips than on how we would do anything else. And so that's where we start with this theme this morning. If we're to live this skillful life in light of the gospel, we're going to have to think about how we use our words. Now, What Proverbs teaches on the topics can be grouped under three headings and then a fourth one. Three headings and then a fourth one. You'll see what I mean as we go. First of all, a first heading, let's look at these together. Proverbs is is, is at pains to make clear to us about the power of words. The power of words, that my words, that, that your words have an amazing power to them. So look at 1821. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now we've touched on the power of words already, but two quick things just to unpack that a little more. First of all, Proverbs will show us that words have tremendous power for harm. Tremendous power for for harm. Words are, are, are small, but they can be hugely damaging. Think of the book of James where he says, how great a forest can be set ablaze by such a small fire. 
Or look at 12:18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Isn't that a visceral picture? That reckless speech, whether planned and premeditated, or simply blurted out in the heat of an argument, can do lasting damage. Because once something has been said, it can never be unsaid. Once it has come out of your lips, there's no way to pull it back. The sword has been thrust, the proverb says. Flesh, soul even, have been pierced. We may want to take it back, but it's too late. There's already blood on the floor. We may want to pull the sword out, but the wound will remain and the scars might even last forever. Look at 11.9. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. Or 16.28. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Words of tremendous power for harm. And I think most of us have, have actually experienced this. Perhaps, sadly, in the things that have been said to us, that careless word, that angry word, that malicious word that was spoken to you and, and pierced the soul. A word you'll remember having heard forever, especially perhaps because it came from the lips of one who has went to love you the most. But how we wish that it wasn't just that how we've been sinned against in this way that would lead us to understand. Surely we understand the harm words brings also because of some of the things that, that we have said ourselves have, have said. That line that came out in the moment that you'll now forever regret. The way in which you see your negativity has had a, a, a sad impact on a loved one. Words have tremendous power for harm. Now, of course, as we think about this heading, the power of words, we also need to see that, yeah, they have power for harm, but secondly, words also have tremendous power for, for good. And look again at 18.21. Death, yes, is in the power of the tongue, but look, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Or 12.18, uh, we've read already, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, yes, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. In other words, words are able to pierce the soul, but they're also able to restore the soul. We are both hurt and healed by words. 12.25, great example of this. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. And I trust and I'm sure, in fact, that all of us have personally experienced this as well. I know in seasons when I've been down or struggling, how I've been inspired to to courage or to to perseverance by the words of those who believe in me. Or I think we've all had the experience of being helped through a crisis or even just made to smile on a difficult day by the words of those we know and truly care about us. Words have the power to to make love tangible, to make love uh, audible, to make love visible as as it were. And so we can't underestimate the power of, of speaking such words. Uh, look at 10.11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Don't you want that mouth? Don't you want that mouth? The, the, the mouth that when, when, when you spend time with me, you leave feeling like you have more life 
that it was good for you to have had that conversation. And when people leave conversations with you, the words that they took from your lips give a sort of deposit to their soul that they feel better off for having spent time with you. Words have this potential, this tremendous power for good. So that's our first heading, the power of words. Secondly, though, Proverbs, very interestingly, also highlights the other side of the coin. In, in a great book on the, on the book of Proverbs, author Derek Kidner shows how Proverbs highlights not just the power of words, but also the weakness of words. The power of words, yes, but also the weakness of words in that our words are limited, they are powerful, yes, but they can only accomplish so much. Kidner gives three examples to make this more concrete. First of all, he says, words are weak because words are no substitute for deeds. They're weak because they're no substitute for deeds. So look at 14.23. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Isn't that a great contrast? Contrast between um, toil on the one hand and mere talk on the other. Shouldn't it be framed and hung in every conference room in the entire city, right? We think of the book of James where James writes, you know, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed or hungry, what good is it if you just say to them, well, go, be warm and well fed? That's of of no use to anyone as faith without works is dead, so words without deeds are empty. And we're called to be be careful, (laughs) especially in this time, Be careful to talk a lot and feel like you've done anything. Don't think mere words will have accomplished something. We're called to an an active faith that presses beyond talking the talk to walking the walk as well. Words are no substitute for deeds. Second way we see that the weakness of words is that words are, are weak because they're unable to alter Facts. Unable to alter facts. Look at 26 verse 24. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. In other words, saying no amount of spin, no amount of charm, no amount of PR can change the truth. And in the end, the truth will come out. So be careful not to spin things, not to frame things in a way that makes you feel better about yourself or in a way that will make other people feel better about you, whether that's the argument you had at home or the tension in the office. Don't just frame it in a way that makes you look good because in the end, that deception will be found out. Often in this life, certainly before the judge of eternity, all truth will be laid bare. So again, don't just talk the talk. Walk the walk as well. Otherwise, this lack of substance will be revealed because words can't alter facts. Third way Proverbs highlights that the weakness of words is uh, words are weak because they can't, they, they can't compel the desired response. This was a, an interesting one to, to reflect on this week. It's the idea that the wisest of words need to be received still need to be received by a wise soul. Even the very best words don't have power in themselves to bring change. They still need to be received. So look at 29.19. By mere words, a servant is not disciplined. 
For though he understands, he will not respond. Or positively, 17.10. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. You see what Proverbs is getting at? He's saying the wise soul will receive wisdom and reject foolishness and gossip. But the foolish soul will reject wisdom and receive foolishness and gossip. In other words, we need to humble ourselves and remember that you can say the right thing in the right way at the right time and and it still not have the desired result. Also, we need to kind of test ourselves as, as listeners, challenge ourselves as hearers. Is my soul fertile for wisdom or is it fertile for, for foolishness and gossip? When I hear wisdom, does my soul light up? Do my ears prick up? Am I ready to lean in? Or when I hear the latest bit of spicy news, does my soul light up and do my ears prick and do I lean in to listen? The point is that the power of words, whether for good or for ill, doesn't reside in the words themselves, but very much in the soul that hears them. And so our souls are called to be wise, to receive what is wise, to reject what is foolish. Words are are weak. They are no substitute for deeds. They can't alter facts. They can't compel the desired response. Now, these two points, the idea of the power of words and, and the weakness of words, really want to frame our thinking about words. They're kind of like the, the banks of the river that keeps the water contained. But what kind of river do we want to flow in between those banks? Or in other words, what kind of words should flow between these banks? And Proverbs goes on to give us a lot of practical advice, very earthy practical advice about how we should speak. And that's point three, the power of words, the weakness of words, and now the best words. How your words can be wise. Don't you want your words to be wise? Well, Proverbs tells us what wise words look like, what kind of language we should use. Give us a number of characteristics that should mark our speech. We could do a whole series on them, but for now, let me just briefly mention five of these characteristics. First, number one, the best words, hopefully honestly, obviously, are, are honest words. The best words are honest words. Look at 12.22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Or 12.19. Truthful lips endure forever. See, we live in a culture and we are a people who have quite a high tolerance for lying. You know, the small lie that you tell a friend because it was easier and more convenient than getting into the whole story. Or the little detail you just neglect to mention to your boss because you just thought it would cause more of a fuss if you spoke up. But God calls us to a higher standard. He calls us to a truthful life where we live without pretending. Christians should be those who are, who are real with people, who shoot straight with people, who are worthy of, of trust. I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen the movie Liar, Liar with Jim Carrey in it? Um, it's about an attorney and he falls under a spell and can only tell the truth for 24 hours. And you think it would take a spell, right? Um, and what unfolds is then, you know, one part hilarious, one part embarrassing, and then ultimately redemptive. And you think, you know, that's not a bad life. Hilarious, embarrassing, ultimately redemptive. You could have a worse epitaph than that, right? <laughs> a worse epitaph 
than that. And so we want to test ourselves and know, this is a good question to consider. When are you personally tempted to lie? Or neglect to speak the whole truth? Which is really the same thing. Um, because you know, when I'm tempted and when you're tempted, we'll be slightly different. We, we lie for different reasons. So, perhaps you are tempted to lie in order to avoid conflict. You really don't like conflict and so you'll tell that kind of white lie to, to avoid a, a scene kicking up. Or maybe you're not that way. Maybe you'll lie in order to appear competent. You don't mind the conflict as long as everyone realizes what your strengths are. Or maybe you'll lie in order to get someone to, to like you in small, subtle ways. What, know, your, know yourself. What is it that tempts you to lie? And then there, right there, we want to apply this gospel grace because we know that whatever the motivation, whatever the reason, deception always devastates relationships because if you can't trust someone's word, you can't trust them. The words give us a window into the soul and if we can't trust the words, then we can't trust the soul. We can't know them. We can't be known by them. And so Proverbs challenges us, calls us out to be an honest community of truth-tellers. Christians should be a community of truth-tellers. So, the best words, one, honest words. Two, the best words are also courageous words. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. You see, if, if you're going to be honest with people, if you're going to speak truth, then very often you'll need courage. You'll need courage. Look at 31.8. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Do you speak up when other people are put down? Do you speak up and defend that colleague who's in the right even when no one else will? Or do you have a tendency just to be quiet? Or or look at 27 verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Do you avoid saying hard things to people? Do you avoid telling people something if you think they don't want to hear it? Are you too nervous about what they think about you so that you just end up being quiet? In both these cases and many more, God would say, be bold, open your mouth. It takes strength to be honest and Proverbs calls us to have this kind of of courage. Now, very quickly we need to move to point three, because very quickly we need to nuance that point. Yes, our words should be honest, yes they should be courageous, but thirdly, the best words are also gentle. Courage, yes. Courageous, yes, but also gentle. Look at 25.15. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. Or 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. See, for some people, for for many people, they don't have a problem being courageous, but they do have a problem with being obnoxious. (laughs) And so don't, in the name of courage, walk around and say, I'm just speaking the truth with courage. Listen up, people, right? Um, No, we're called to gentleness too. Gentleness 
too. A soft tongue, a soft answer. Now that doesn't mean kind of namby-pamby, wishy-washy pansy. What that's talking about is, it literally could translate this word soft as, as gentle. In other places it's translated as, as tender. And so, I wonder, isn't this a, a great question for parents? Um, how do you talk to your kids when you're angry with them? Or a question for all of us. How do you talk to those who you're in conflict with? See, the Bible would tell us man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God requires. Book of James 1. Um, anger isn't persuasive. Gentleness is. Judgment isn't compelling. Gentleness is. When we respond in kind, we tend to make things worse. But when we respond with kind words, we tend to disarm or diffuse the situation. And so yes, speak honestly. And yes, speak courageously. But speak gently. Only from a heart of love. And you will find that such words have power. Why? Because nothing is more persuasive or compelling than grace. This soft word can break a bone. This soft word can persuade the king. So honest, yes. Courageous, yes. Gentle, yes. Fourth, the best words are also what Proverbs calls apt words. Look at 1523. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season, how good it is. Or 2511, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. A word fitly spoken is like fine craftsmanship. In other words, Proverbs is saying, yeah, say the right thing, but also say it in the right way. Say the right thing, but also take time to make sure that you're saying it in the right way. Shape your communication to the person you're talking to that they might be able to hear you. Shape your communication to them so that they might really be able to receive what it is you're saying. So a great example comes in my marriage and every marriage that there has ever been. Uh, When we first got married, we had this interesting dynamic whereby uh, we just grew up in very different households. So in my family, when there was like something that needed to be talked about, something needed to be worked through, you threw it all on the table, you hashed it all out, and then you just moved on. Okay. Uh, Rosie's family was what we could call a much more reserved family. And so when we first got married and an issue came up, I would throw everything on the table and I would start to hash it all out. And Rosie would think I was really angry with her. You know? And likewise, she would function in a more reserved way and I'd kind of think she was giving me the silent treatment. You know? And you have these moments in marriage where you're like, Lord, who is this person I am living with? And why are we so unable to communicate to each other? Right? And a big part of the answer is, well, your speech isn't apt. You're not shaping what you say to your hearer in order that they might be able to hear you. In order that they might be able to understand, that they might be able to receive the words that you are saying. In challenging conversations, we want to put the communicative burden upon ourselves and to give our listener every opportunity to hear and receive what it is we're saying to them. So, Honest, yes. Courageous, yes. Gentle, yes. Apt, yes. Fifth, finally, for for just now. The best words are also few. Few. Amen. Let's all go home, right? (laughs) 
I hate preaching on this topic. <laughs> right? I look at, I mean, look at 10.19. Look at 10.19. Read this as a preacher. Where words are many, sin is not absent. Or, I love, I love 17.28. Isn't it great? Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. No need to broadcast your ignorance to the entire world. And keep your lips shut. See, generally, uh, we've said you need to be courageous. There are times you need to speak up. But generally, we cause more harm by speaking than by not speaking. As a general rule, we cause more harm by speaking than by not speaking. When the words start tumbling out, that's when things become unhelpful. That's when things become unhealthy. I love the picture, the illustration in 2620. You see it there? For lack of words, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. You have no gossip in your church if you have no gossips. One follows the other. And so we're challenged, really, I mean, the flow of these five points works quite nicely, really, because by the time you've thought, is my statement honest? Is my statement courageous? Is my statement gentle? Is my statement apt? Work through that list and you'll find you say a lot less. <laughs> you'll say fewer words. And there's great wisdom in us showing restraints. The best words are honest, courageous, gentle, apt, but also few. Now, I think that's a little depressing. <laughs> and not just for me, not just for, for, for the preacher, but, but for us all. I mean, measure your words by those criteria. Just go, let's just go to yesterday. Think through the conversations of yesterday. Or as you lie in your bed tonight, think through today. You know, how do your words measure up against those criteria? And it's because of that, because of our failure to speak well, that we need not just three headings, but a fourth. <laughs> It's because of our failure to use language correctly that we, need, that we need more. We need more than the power of words. We need more than the weakness of words. We need more than the best words. Finally, fourth, we need, we need the greatest word. <laughs> the greatest word. Because our problem, our problem is actually far deeper than words or vocabulary. Look at 1623. A wise man's heart guides his mouth. Jesus picks up on this idea in Matthew 12:34 listed there for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks in other words our problem is deeper than language our our problem resides in the heart word problems are our heart problems so uh, author Paul Tripp tells a story of uh, going to a family gathering as a child and uh, when he arrived they realized that one of his uncles was really drunk and then throughout the course of the evening the uncle started to say sexually perverse things to some of the women that were there at the party. Hearing this his mother scooped up uh, Paul Tripp and all the siblings and went outside and kind of threw them all in the back of the car and then just before she stood in the accelerator she turned around to them and said remember nothing comes out the mouth of a drunk that wasn't already there in the first place. In other words, alcohol didn't cause sexual perversion. It just loosened the lips so that what was already in the heart came out. Or think, as you, as you sit here listening to me just now, uh, my accent reveals something about me. My accent reveals that I am not from these parts, Okay. <laughs> 
And uh, my wee brother's getting married. I'm going to go back to Scotland. Uh, he's getting married in a week or so. And uh, see when I'm in Scotland, my accent will also say something about me to my Scottish friends. And what I'll tell them is, you've been in America too long, right? <laughs> my voice tells you something about my story. And in a much deeper way, though, our, our words also tell us something about our souls. Not just where you're from, but, but who you are. It, is found, it finds expression as, as it comes out of, of your, your lips. And so for us, the problem isn't our lips, but the hearts, the identities that these lips Reveal, which all points us, doesn't it, to that greater word. We said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You can't start to be wise till you've come to grips with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we think about words, we think about the greatest word, the word that is without definition, the word that is beyond pronunciation, the word that transcends language, that word who became flesh and made his dwelling among us, even Jesus. Even Jesus, the only one, I love this, the only one to speak with perfect honesty and perfect courage and perfect gentleness. And his words were always apt. And they were even few. And so even his enemy said, um, there's never been a man who spoke like this. John chapter 7. And yet this perfect word is the word who then endured the silence of the cross. That the Trinity, which had been in perfect communication from all eternity past, suddenly fell silent. And in response to his unutterable why, there was only the silent treatment of God our failed words deserve. And so the perfect word, the perfect word takes the punishment our failed words deserve. And then what does he do when we come to him? When we come to him and say, yeah, Lord, I have sinned in my words, and not just in my words, but in my deeds and my thoughts and all that I am, help me. What does he do? He doesn't just give us new language. He doesn't just give us some new vocabulary. He doesn't just give us like some Christianese. He gives us a new heart. <laughs> and from this new heart, new words can spring gives us new heart from which new words can spring he's put a new song in our mouths so that we long for a thousand tongues to sing (laughs) that's the good news of the gospel that's how the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom because the heart that experiences grace is the heart that will speak words of grace and so yeah Take all the wisdom you can from the power of words and the weakness of words and, and even from, from the best of words. But start by coming to the greatest word. The greatest word because only Jesus can heal our hearts. And so only Jesus can heal our words and make us wise. And only then will we have skill in living in light of the gospel. Take your words, friends. Take them and weigh them in light of how you've been spoken to in the gospel. And you'll find, you'll really find that some of your 16,000 start to sound a little wise. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and supremely for the word. We are a a people who um, 
say all sorts of things we shouldn't say, who leave unsaid all sorts of things we we should say. And the sin of our lips is really just the overflow of of our sinful hearts. And so we need more than good advice. We need more than self-help. We need more than good tips. We need salvation that comes to us in Christ who became flesh and dwelt among us that he might live and die and rise uh, to bring healing to our hearts and through that healing to our lips. So Lord, make us wise. And make us wise in the way that we use our language and make us more like your son in the process. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.